The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats for another hour of the PFT Live podcast. Wednesday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. It's that time of the year where I have to stop and think what day of the week it is. When you're in the season, there's a rhythm. There's a flow. Monday is the same. Tuesday, the same. Wednesday, you, you get the point. You know that Thursday night games are coming. So Wednesday, what are we talking about? Thursday, we know we're talking about Friday. It's just a blank slate. It's an open palette. You can do whatever you want during the offseason, especially in the weeks before things really get going. And things are going to get going. We've got the combine coming up in two weeks in Indianapolis. Free agency, a little over a month away. The draft, not that far behind it. See, the NFL has found a way to take the months where it's not playing games and create opportunities for interest, revenue, not nearly the same revenue that they make during the season, but they used to go seven months without making jack squat. Now they've got three major tentpole events, combine, free agency, draft, and they could have a fourth one, a draft lottery if they wanted to, but they don't. Plenty of opportunities to put stuff on TV, to be talking about football, to get people thinking about football, and remaining fascinated as to the possibilities that the next season will bring for any team, any of the 32 that in theory can find a way to the top of the mountain. Now, I was talking to someone recently, and look, this doesn't 
really mesh with the whole, you know, every team has a chance vibe. For people inside the league, there's a rule of thumb that 10 teams legitimately can win the Super Bowl. 10 organizations are in that cluster of teams that will produce the champion. And the other 22 are just there. They're just existing. Making money, a la the Bengals. And treading water. And they're okay with it. Now the thing is, most of the 22 don't know that they are the 22. They think they're the 10. But the 10... The 10 know who the 22 are. Now, I don't know who the 10 are, but I could probably put a list together. I'm going to write something about this. It's been on my list. I keep a list of things I want to write about. And that's been on my list, and I need to get to it at some point this week. See, the problem is, while I'm in the process of checking off items on the list to write about, other things come up because people talk. News happens. David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, decides to talk about Cam Newton's future in Carolina, for example. He probably thinks his team's one of the ten, and it very well may be. Cam Newton was clearly one of the ten best quarterbacks and still is capable of doing it when he's healthy, but he's not healthy. Yesterday, David Tepper addressed the future of Cam Newton in Carolina. Listen, I'm not a doctor. You know, and I said it a million times, is he is he healthy and how does, I mean, he's not a doctor. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, different things can happen. But first is, is he healthy? Tell me that and then we can talk. You know, it's funny when I heard that begin, I'm not a doctor. I expected, but I play one on TV. And then I realized for David Tepper, the better line is I'm not a doctor, but I am richer than any doctor in the world. I am richer than all of the doctors combined. And you'd think he could find a doctor that would give him some guidance as to what's up with Cam Newton. I believe, and I've said this many times, there's a fatigue in and around the Panthers. And possibly, if not likely, among their fans when it comes to Cam Newton. Because he's never healthy. Even when he's playing. He's playing through some injury. And they're just trying to get through the season until they can deal with it. Shoulder injury. That was the issue in 2018 until they finally shut him down. Remember, they were 6-2, and and the wheels came off, starting with that Thursday night game in Pittsburgh against the Steelers team that David Tepper used to own a chunk of. 2019, they got off to that 0-2 start because Cam Newton was trying to play through a foot injury. They got Newton off the field, they started to win games. It didn't last. I, I think the fatigue is... The constant injuries, the constant questions about when he'll be healthy, will he stay healthy? And then you throw in that stubbornness that caused Cam Newton to play in the first two games last year when he shouldn't have. The last time Tepper discussed Cam Newton, he used the phrase buy-in. And buy-in means a lot of different things. There's a new system. There's a new process He needs to buy into that. But he also needs to buy into the broader realities of football. When you're hurt, 
you can't just expect to be allowed to play. You have to comply. You have to submit. You can't be bigger than the team. And based on 2015, and man, that feels like a long time ago, Cam Newton, NFL MVP, entertainer and an icon. I just think that all things considered, and when you look at a $19 million salary for 2020, the Panthers may be thinking, now's the time. The time's coming, now's the time. You want to sell at the best possible time. Next year, too late. Contract expires. What are you going to do? Tag and trade? Now's the time to trade him. And even though Cam Newton has said he absolutely expects to be back with the Panthers, look, he may just be saying what he needs to say in order to not be the bad guy when it all falls apart. Think about it. We've already had Eli Manning and the Giants fall apart with Eli Manning's retirement, which was not really voluntary. Would he have retired if he was still the starter? Probably not. Philip Rivers floated on an iceberg out of L.A. We're wondering what's going to happen with Tom Brady in New England. And I think Cam Newton, another hot spot. Franchise quarterback who may no longer be with the franchise. So which franchise will he be playing for? Well, the moment that it began to seem to me as if Cam Newton may be short for North Carolina and South Carolina, Carolina. The moment that happened, I thought the Chargers make the most sense because the Chargers need star power. The Chargers need to do something that will resonate with Los Angeles. And of all the quarterbacks available, other than maybe Tom Brady, and I'm going to go stronger than maybe, other than Tom Brady, the guy who brings the star power is Cam Newton. The guy who gets people excited about the Chargers. The guy who can help the Chargers push back against these ongoing efforts by the Rams to engage in dirty tricks, leaking stories about moving to L.A. No, to London. L-O-N-D-O-N. To undermine the Chargers' perceived viability, to make them seem like short-term tenants so that folks in L.A. choosing one or the other will choose the Rams. The Rams are here to stay. The Chargers are not. And the Chargers have never really behaved as if they're in L.A. You need to act like you're in L.A. At some point, somebody said, well, Tom Telesco isn't going to go out and put together a flashy roster. He is a GM in the Bill Polian model. He's going to be methodical. He's going to be you know, patient. He's going to be strategic. Like, That's fine. Do it with another team. Don't do it in L.A. You got to have some flash and panache in L.A. You've got to, or don't play in L.A. It's that simple. L.A. is definitely different, maybe not, since two teams left in the 90s. It's way different since the Chargers were there in 1960. So Tom Telesco, the GM of the Chargers, speaking on AM570 L.A. Sports, regarding the decision to move on from Philip Rivers, 
Telesco said, I like our internal options at quarterback. Well, that makes one. Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod, who was Tyrod for one month in 2018, before Baker Mayfield became the starter. Tyrod, who was the starter in Buffalo before being traded to Cleveland. He bumps up as the number one guy. Now, look, Telesco isn't going to come out and say, man, we really want to trade for Cam Newton. Or, well, we really want to draft somebody. We want to trade up to get Joe Burrow. Or, man, I hope we can get Tom Brady. I mean, you can't say anything about guys under contract with other teams. This is the logical and obvious thing to say. I like our internal options. I like our internal options. I love our external possibilities. Nothing is gained from saying that out loud, especially if you fail, right? If you create an expectation that you're going to go out and make a big splash, first of all, the cost of the big splash goes up. One thing the Panthers would love to hear from Tom Telesco is, we plan to go out and acquire an entertainer and an icon. If only we could find one in Charlotte. You got to hold your cards close to the vest to do the best possible deal. So pay no attention to the man behind the curtain and never pay attention to the man behind the curtain. We're here to peel back the curtain and tell you what's really going on. I don't buy it from Tom Telesco. I don't buy the idea that the Chargers are going to roll into this brand new stadium that holds more than twice the number of fans that the place they've been playing for the last three years holds with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. I don't buy it. Now, considering that it's the Chargers, maybe I do. But I'd like to think that the decision to move on from Phillip Rivers was step one in acknowledging we need to do things a little bit differently if we want to have fans in L.A. People think that it's going to be different when they're in this new stadium. It's not going to be different. The percentages are going to be the same. If it's 80-20 Packers fans or 90-10 Steelers fans or 95-5 Vikings fans in a late season game that means nothing to the home team and everything to the road team, those ratios are going to hold at a new stadium, folks. There's just going to be more. It's going to be more embarrassing. And the guy who owns the stadium doesn't care. The guy who owns the stadium owns the Rams. He just wants the tickets to be sold. So, the Chargers need to want Cam Newton or Tom Brady. They need a star quarterback. They need star players. They've got some star players. But they just need to play to that star potential. And it begins with the most important position on the field, the quarterback. And because the quarterback is the most important position on the field, the quarterback likes to get paid. Dak Prescott is trying to get paid. Does he think he's worth $40 million a year? He recently addressed that question. We'll let you hear his answer when PFT Live continues right after this. 
PFT Live and NBC Sports Radio is brought to you by Home Depot, where you can get everything you need to complete projects smarter, faster, and easier. Welcome to today's Home Depot, how doers get more done. Are you a $40 million quarterback? You tell me. I'm asking you. You're the one that, it's your You're contract. You're the I'm not the one writing the checks, though. Yeah, I'm not either. If it's my call to write it, yeah, no telling. I mean, let's, let's be honest, right? So, uh, I mean, like I said before, though, I mean, I trust my agent. Uh, I trust the Cowboys. Something will get done. We're not going to sit here and put a number on it. Uh, something will happen. Dak Prescott with Kimberly Martin of Yahoo Sports. Not sure when that was. We're in a period now where a lot of stuff that happened Super Bowl week is gurgling and percolating and popping up because there's just too much during Super Bowl week. Something will get done. You got to be careful there when you're playing your leverage. I don't know if something will get done. I hope something gets done. I hope the Cowboys realize what needs to get done. If I have to go year to year under the franchise tag, I'll do it. Don't give up your leverage, Dak. You've played this so well. Don't blink near the finish line. Because if you blink, Jerry Jones and his $250 million yacht will plow right over you. He's going to be like Al Chervik. He's going to drop his anchor right in the middle of your payday. $40 million probably is not what Dak Prescott's going to hit. He'll take what he'll get. Hell, who wouldn't? Yeah, if you're letting me write the check, I'll put in $50 million. Here's the thing we have to continue to remember. And I'm astounded. Let me just editorialize here for a minute, as if I ever need to ask or seek or exercise the prerogative permission. Here's here's the thing that and I don't I, I look, maybe I'm not consuming enough content. I see plenty of things people write within the context of finding things to write about, things to comment on. We don't just aggregate, we add to what others may be reporting. We give our thoughts, we give context, we explain, we analyze. I don't see anybody else talking about the difference between new money and total value at signing. That is a huge, huge factor in these deals. And now that Dak Prescott has no contract, he's going to be starting from square one. The new money and the total value at signing are the same thing. And that becomes important because, for example, Russell Wilson's $35 million per year is new money. When he signed his contract last year, the total value at signing was $31.4 million. You want to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL, you need to get north of 31.4 at signing. Not 35. You get to 35, damn. That's a hell of a deal because you are dramatically leapfrogging the top of the market. 40 million? Forget about it. We talked last week about Patrick Mahomes' contract. You get him to 40 million in new money with a five-year extension to the deal that he currently has, you're at 32. 32.6, I think the number was. 
if I recall correctly, and there is a damn good chance I don't. But it was north of 32 for 40 million. So it's not 40, it's 32. You get him to 40 at total value at signing, the new money is 50 million. That's the thing I hate about the reporting, valuation, and discussion of NFL contracts. And the problem is the NFLPA calculates them that way. And I'll get into an argument once every few months with an agent who says, why do you talk about the total value at signing? Why do you not talk about the new money? I talk about both. They get mad when you peel back the curtain. That's what we do. We peel back curtains. There's so much fluff and BS and just crap. Unfounded crapola, as Peter King said yesterday. We're trying to help you understand what's really going on. And what's really going on is when you sign a guy to a contract who has years left on his deal, they don't do an extension. They don't say, here's a contract that will take over when your current contract ends. That's an extension. What they do is they take the current deal, they rip it up, and they replace it with a brand new contract that pays out an average value at signing. This whole new money thing is a mathematical ruse promoted by agents in order to make contracts seem better than they are. And it complicates discussions like this. Is he a $40 million a year guy? Well, he has no contract now. He ain't getting to $40 million unless he's got a current contract that can be extended with a new money average of $40 million, if any of that makes sense. And there's a good chance it doesn't. Another quarterback without a contract, Ryan Tannehill. He has a contract with a new agency that may make it easier for him to get the contract he wants from the Tennessee Titans. We'll explain next right here on PFT Live. PFT Live and NBC Sports Radio is brought to you by Granger. Delivering the products that keep your facility running is what Granger does best. They've been doing it for 90 years. Visit Granger.com for whatever you need, whenever you need it. Granger, for the ones who get it done. They're trying to get it done in Tennessee. They have two big-name free agents. Running back Derrick Henry, who led the league in rushing. Quarterback Ryan Tannehill, the comeback player of the year. I almost made... Ryan Tannehill, the PFT Comeback Player of the Year. I went with Jimmy Garoppolo instead. Because Shereen Williams, who will be joining me Thursday and Friday as Chris Sims continues his vacation. His life is a vacation. He's taken a vacation from the vacation that is his life. Shereen Williams convinced me that Ryan Tannehill should not be the Comeback Player of the Year. And that's a big deal for her. Because she is very loyal to Texas A&M, and Ryan Tannehill is a former Aggie. Once an Aggie, always an Aggie. She said, what is he coming back from? Stinking? So, uh, that was the, well, Shireen, you know, you got a point. We'll give it to the guy who's coming back from the torn ACL. And here's the thing. Ryan Tannehill never really stunk. He just needed time to develop. He needed time to learn the position. Remember, he arrived at Texas A&M as a receiver. He was very late in his career there that he became a quarterback. And I think it was a disservice to him to be drafted as high as he was in 2012. You come in as a top 10 pick, there's an expectation you're going to be better. 
faster than you would have been if you were a third or a fourth rounder. You're not a developmental pick if you're eighth overall. And by 2016, he was pretty good. Led the Dolphins to the playoffs. The only problem is he took a low hit in December from Calais Campbell, who was then with the Arizona Cardinals, missed the rest of the season, had the partially torn ACL. And I remember, this is one of those moments where we were like, why in the hell isn't he just getting the ACL fixed? It doesn't heal itself. Well, there are many players who have partially torn ACLs, and they don't even know it. They just keep playing. Yeah, okay, fine. Partially torn. Anything you have, anything you use that is partially broken, you know what's eventually going to happen. It's going to be fully broken, and that's what happened. Non-contact training camp, just running. Oh, there it went the rest of the way. Well, that was inevitable. That's all fed to this perception slash reality that Ryan Tannehill's not a very good quarterback. The guy's pretty damn good, and he was pretty damn spectacular in 2019. He led the league in passer rating, the fourth highest single-season passer rating of all time. Of all time. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Nick Foles. No, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, Nick Foles, the only three with higher single-season passer ratings. I know which one doesn't belong and why, but hey, they're all three Super Bowl MVPs. Don't take that. Don't you knock Nick Foles. So, to finally get to my point, Ryan Tannehill's due to become a free agent. Derrick Henry's due to become a free agent. Teams have only one franchise tag to use. We had this conversation last year as it relates to the Dallas Cowboys. Amari Cooper's contract had one year left. Dak Prescott's contract had one year left. The smartest move for the two players would be to say, neither of us is signing a long-term deal. You have to tag one of us, and the other one is going to hit the open market. Now, the caveat, unless and until there's a new CBA before the start of the new league year on March 18 is this. For 2020, teams have both a transition tag and a franchise tag. They can use one of each. In any other year, it's one or the other. And you can only use one. You pick. 2020, one franchise tag, one transition tag. Ultimately, though, the transition tag is meaningless. It just gives you a right to match. If somebody really wants to pry away a player who has been transition tagged, they can they can do it. Make an offer that the team can't match, won't match. You can do it. You don't have to worry about compensation. No compensation if the current team doesn't match. So, so one way to hold together two guys who are careening toward free agency, two guys that the team would like to keep even though they only have one franchise tag to use, one way to do that is to have both guys represented by the same agency. So then that strategy is more easily implemented. And lo and behold, Derrick Henry, represented by CAA, and now Ryan Tannehill, has left the only agency that's ever represented him during his time in the NFL, and he has CAA. And I'm told... The Derrick Henry factor was a huge influence on Ryan Tannehill's choice of an agency heading into free agency. And then there's more. 
CAA also represents, drum roll please, Titans general manager John Robinson, who ultimately will be authorizing whatever expenditures are made to keep Henry and or Tannehill. It's a clear and obvious conflict of interest. Now, I will say this, because I've had some conversations with people about this dynamic. It, it is strange to me that the NFLPA allows this, although in some situations it works to the player's advantage. But ultimately, and, and I'm sensitive to this because when you practice law, as I did for 18 years, and I'm not, oh, yeah, oh hey, tough guy, I practiced law for 18 years. I mean, I just want you to realize that I kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit when I address these issues. When you practice law, there, there aren't a whole lot of ways you can get in trouble. Commingling your money with your client's money, that's a way to get in trouble. Not properly navigating conflicts of interest, that's an easy way to get yourself in trouble. And it's very easy to spot a conflict of interest. If you're representing two sides of the same fight, you've got a conflict of interest. Now, the argument would be, you really don't have a conflict here because Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill aren't negotiating against the pocketbook of John Robinson. John Robinson is just the gatekeeper for whatever money the Titans are going to spend. It would be more of a conflict if you were representing Titans controlling owner Amy Adams Strunk in this negotiation. That you're advising her on how to handle these negotiations while advising the players on how to handle the negotiations. That would be a direct apples-to-apples -apples conflict of interest. But still, there's something about it that, that in theory... In theory, if you're going to fight and scratch and claw and do whatever you have to do for your client, if you're going to use whatever tool you have in the kit, if you're going to put maximum leverage on the Titans by refusing to do a deal, let's say CAA says to their client, John Robinson, hey, John, here's how it's going to go. We're not doing a deal for either of these guys. You're going to have to tag one and the other one's becoming a free agent or, or will be transition tagged. Either way, one of these guys is hitting the market. You choose which one's hitting the market by choosing which one is not hitting the market. Because there's a chance the Titans will just franchise tag Derrick Henry and take their chances with Ryan Tannehill. Transition tag or no transition tag. And John Robinson may not appreciate that. Hey guys, why are you doing this to me? Come on, let me work out a deal with one of these guys so I can tag the other. I'm ready to pay Ryan Tannehill good money. Why are you doing this to me? See, you want to be able to hold firm in your beliefs without worrying about jeopardizing your relationship with the other person in this negotiation who you separately represent. You want to be able to do that without maybe getting John Robinson thinking to himself when it's all said and done, well, I'm done with these buttholes. In theory, that's what you want. Now, the NFL is a very unique industry in that it's driven by relationships. It's one of the reasons why it pays to have a very good agent, because those relationships come in handy. And you just don't want to be gratuitously and recklessly undermining relationships anyway. So even if you don't represent John Robinson, there's a reason for the folks at CAA 
to not push it so far with John Robinson that John Robinson doesn't want to do business with them later, regardless of whether or not CAA represents him. And there are teams that get fed up with certain agents and just won't deal with their players, which is stupid, but it happens. It happens. So the bottom line here is Ryan Tannehill hoping to maximize his bottom line by having a joint strategy with Derrick Henry. They're in this together now. CAA is pulling the strings. And this is another thing to realize. And I don't know if I mentioned this yesterday here or on the score in Chicago where I do a Tuesday morning spot at 9.40 a.m. Eastern, but there's a kingmaker quality to some of these agencies now. As we look at how the free agency landscape for quarterbacks is going to play out, and it is potentially going to be chaos. I've talked to agents in the past, and I'm not saying they all act this way, but there are some who fancy themselves as the folks moving pieces on the chessboard. And they like that. They get a thrill from that. They're controlling the league. They're pulling the strings. They have general managers they don't like. And they'd maybe like to get them fired. Oh, I've heard those conversations. I hate that guy. I want to get him fired. I'm not sending him my player. I'm not helping him keep his job. I got somebody else I want to put in that job. And I don't know how much of it is real or how much of it is just guys intoxicated by the perception or the belief that they have that kind of juice, but that's out there. And as we head into what very well could be an unprecedented turnover in starting quarterbacks and free agent quarterbacks and the landscape of the NFL as it relates to the quarterback position could be dramatically and permanently altered. Some of these agents are going to think that, that they got some power and they got some juice. And in Tennessee, CAA has got the juice. Because they got Derrick Henry and they got Ryan Tannehill. And I don't think either guy is signing a long-term deal until it's time to tag one of them. And it's going to be time to tag both of them unless and until there's a new CBA. But one's getting the franchise tag, which makes it a hell of a lot harder to leave. And the other one's getting the transition tag, which gives them a chance to get to the open market. Now, the end result may be they all stay. And there's another wrinkle here that I want to address before I take the break. Philip Rivers is represented by CAA. I think at some level, if Ryan Tannehill wasn't thinking of this, he should have been. There's kind of a defense mechanism here in hiring CAA because maybe if your guy is insisting on too much, you've got the CAA connection, they start working John Robinson and Philip Rivers and look at this highlight, look at these stats and look at this and look at this and look at this and how about this and how about that? And the next thing you know, they say, fine, we'll just take Philip Rivers instead of Ryan Tannehill. So there is a small aspect of this that may be defensive by Ryan Tannehill, but the bulk of it is going on the offensive and uniting with Derrick Henry and moving forward in an effort to get the maximum compensation, which I always support for any player. Get it while you can, because you can't get it for very long, and the owners are always going to be getting it over and over and over again. Eric Bieniemy may finally be getting a head coaching job, only not in the NFL. Is he a candidate to coach the school for which he played all those years ago? We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. Boy, it's strange how the dominoes fall from time to time. Eric Bieniemy 
overlooked for any NFL head coaching vacancies over the past two cycles suddenly is in play for a head coaching job. Not in the NFL. Michigan State created a vacancy right after the Super Bowl when Mark D'Antonio left the school, and it looks like there's a reason why he ultimately left. I saw something about NCAA something or other, but the bottom line is there's a vacancy. And initially, the thinking was that the 49ers would lose defensive coordinator Robert Sala to Michigan State. Sala was an assistant there. Sala would like to be a head coach, but he wants to be a head coach in the NFL. He said he has unfinished business. The unfinished business is becoming a head coach in the NFL, not unfinished business with the 49ers. He wants to be a head coach in the NFL, and he's more likely to be a head coach in the NFL if he stays where he is. If he goes to Michigan State, it's a tougher path. So Michigan State continued to look elsewhere. And it was just a few days ago, I saw this courtesy of a retweet from the at Old Takes Exposed account on Twitter, Mel Tucker, the coach at Colorado, made it clear that he is committed to Colorado and he is not leaving to coach at Michigan State. Until he is. Because he is. Mel Tucker out at Colorado, in at Michigan State, and the domino now falls in the direction, potentially, of Eric Bieniemy, who is Colorado's all-time leading rusher. Consensus All-American in 1990 when Colorado won the national championship. They have a vacancy. Eric Bieniemy is not a head coach in the NFL yet. Would Bieniemy want that job? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. Because I assume Colorado would like to talk to him. Why wouldn't they? It's February 12, and they don't have a coach. And Eric Bieniemy has ties to the school. It's obvious. There's so many of these college jobs where, especially when there's an unexpected opening, you, you start connecting dots. And this is the easiest, most logical dot to connect. But what does Bieniemy do? What does he do? Because let me tell you, if he goes to Colorado, First of all, it would be difficult for him to just stay for one year and then take an NFL head coaching job. Although these guys, look, they want the kids to be loyal. The coaches are loyal to one person, themselves. They'll leave if they want to leave. Better offer comes along. See ya, alma mater. I'll make a donation the next time they call me while I'm eating dinner. That's how I'll make it up to you. I don't think the enemy's going to do it. I think the too close to being an NFL head coach. Why would you do it? Why would you do it? Why would you? And even if he's got to wait five years, he may have a fistful of Super Bowl rings by then. He could take over for Andy Reid at some point. Look, Colorado, I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what connection you have. You are riding shotgun with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Yes, after only two years of starting, we can say Patrick Mahomes is destined to be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You don't give up that spot. Oh, no, you don't. You don't give it up unless you're giving it up for an NFL head coaching job. And even then, you better be damn sure you're not going to have some stiff at quarterback. Look at Josh McDaniels after all these years. He's not leaving Tom Brady. Now he did once. But he came back. He left for a head coaching job. It didn't work. When it doesn't work, get me back to Brady. Right? 
mean, Josh McDaniels left for Jake Cutler. He gets what he deserves. So I doubt that Eric Bieniemy is going to leave. I really do. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would not leave the Chiefs unless I know I'm going to a place where I have a franchise quarterback. Like when Tony Dungy became coach of the Colts. He's got Peyton Manning. Okay, good. A lot of these coaches want their own quarterback. I would only leave the Chiefs if there was a job with a quarterback that is so good that I'm not going to want my own quarterback. I want him. I want him as, uh, what was his name? Stanley Rothstein? Rothstein? Who had the stuttering public defender? Rothenstein. Rothenstein. Stanley Rothenstein. Thank you, Stats. Rothenstein. Rothenstein. I want him. That's the reaction you need to have if you're going to leave Patrick Mahomes because you already got him and you should not leave him lightly. We got two hours of PFT Live. So to come, Big Cat's here. We'll be right back. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 